Zvi Ratner-Stauber is the yes lender. Zvi thrives on finding a way to close even the toughest loans. His hallmark is thinking outside the box to bring you a loan that fits your specific needs. He can accomplish this because he has access to loan programs others don't. Zvi specializes in no tax return and bank statement loans for the self-employed. If your credit score is not great, he can help you. He offers programs that don't limit the amount of cash you can take out. Regardless of your financial situation, Zvi will help you secure a mortgage on your dream house. Give Zvi a call at 818-470-2022 or email him at zvitheyeslender.com. That is spelled T-Z-V-I at theyeslender.com. I saw a letter last week. I was looking through some svarim in another Beit Midrash, and I saw a letter from someone whose name is Rav Bosner, the Shevet HaLevi. Shevet HaLevi was a very important halachic decider this century. Passed away a couple of years ago. And he received an interesting letter from a Hasidic, big Hasidic rabbi. And the Hasidic rabbi asked him, I have a dilemma. The dilemma is that I was told, I saw a guy who was very sick. Nebuch, a young guy, was sick. And I turned to the guy who was sick and I said to him, you're going to make it. And I want you to stay strong. And not only are you going to make it, one day you're going to get so healthy, you're going to get married again. And then when you get married again, I'm going to be under your chuppah. So that gave this guy strength to pull together. He got better. 18 years later, he got better from his sickness. He, he fought, he fought, and finally, clean bill of health, he was getting married and he was going to have a chuppah. And now the rabbi has a question. They want me to fly all the way out to Los Angeles. I never left Jerusalem in my entire life. I wanted him just to get stronger. I didn't think, I didn't really think that he, I, I didn't know for sure that I'd have to go here to a chuppah over there. Do I have to go or not? That was the question he asked. And the rabbis who answered, the Shevetah later, Ravazza said, look, he said, I'm traveling. I'm not near all my books, so I can't give you a full halakhic answer. But I just know this is the rule of thumb. You have to go where you're needed most. You have to go where you are needed most. If it's the if it's everything for this person in Los Angeles and that person needs you, then you gotta go. But if in Yerushalayim, 40, 50 people are gonna need you a day and they gotta ask you questions and they don't have anybody else, then you gotta go there. You have to go where you're needed most. I thought that was a nice letter to start with. Why? Because when I think about where we're supposed to be in the month of Elul, we have to ask where we're needed most. In the month of Elul, we're needed in the Beit Knesset. We're needed in the Beit Midrash. God says, let's go. Let's start coming back home. Let's start coming back. This is where I need you the most. The whole year you were running around, it's time. It's time to get serious. This is the time before Tishrei. This is exactly where I need you. So what I wanted to do in the time we have together was to organize. My job, uh, what I do besides at Yeshiva, the Dean of Yeshiva Yavna, what I do... I also consult for shuls around the country. I have a blog online, you can find it called Sinablog from Synagogue. And someone was asking, like, I know God didn't have in mind shul programs when he made the holidays. He made the holidays because we needed the holidays. But the problem is, everything's lopsided in the shul. Because you stick everything at the beginning of the year, because you have Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, you have Sukkot, you have uh, Simchat Torah, and then it's quiet for a while till Hanukkah. It's not the way we would have set it up. So what I want to do is I want to lay out the beginning of this year, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Simchat Torah, in a way that it makes sense. 
what we're trying to do right here at the beginning, so we're good to go till Hanukkah. So you're, you're, you're powered up, you're energized, you got your inf- iron infusion, so you're ready to go until Hanukkah. If you understand Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and Sinfah Torah is all about. Because when you take it apart, when you take it apart, something doesn't make sense. Let's first take apart Rosh Hashanah. I take apart Rosh Hashanah, and I was, you know, by dawned me here, I was thinking from the vantage point of an Ashkenaz Sidur. But then I was talking to Rebel Fasi, I'm like, and I, I'll quickly get me as far as the Sidur. I have to see the things I want to say match up over here. Because maybe this is just Ashkenazi problems I'm bringing up. Right? Hashtag Ashkenaz problems. So I have to make sure these are, this is true. So it works out. You see, the concept of saying on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, Tshuva Tfilat Tzedakah. One of the highlights of the Ashkenazi davening is we scream, Tshuva Tfilat Tzedakah, Ma'avirin et Roa Hagzera. Tshuva Tfilat Tzedakah, remove the evil decree. So it's in the Sfaradi Sidurim too. It's not in the Musaf, but rather beforehand in your Sidurim, in your Matzorim, it says, Yesh Noagim Lomar. Some say the following passage. And it's there. And it's put there, even though it's not the tradition, because the importance of those words. Tshuva, tfila, tzedakah. By the way, how do you translate tshuva? Somebody translate tshuva for me. No? Tshuva. <laughs> Repentance, right? How do you translate tfila? Prayer. Prayer. How do you translate tzedakah? Charity. Charity, right? They're all wrong. They're all wrong. That's not your fault. Every English sitter that you would take off the shelf would translate it that way. They're all wrong. Repentance means penitence, to pay back. That's not tshuva. Tshuva's not paying nothing back. Tshuva's returning. Returning to who you were, what you lost along the way. That's tshuva. It's not paying anything back. Tfila, prayer. You know what prayer means? Prayer means bakasha, to ask for something. That's not tfila. Tfila means pilel, to look inside. So is to come back to yourself. is to look inside, to make a cheshbon. <clears throat> right? This is the time you're supposed to make a cheshbon on Efesh. Let me tell you, I was once in a markolet in Israel. When I was in yeshiva, I remember I got before Rosh Hashanah, was, no, the last meal, before Yom Kippur, I got the, the, the challah, the bread, for the Sudam second. I bought some stuff, I put it on the counter, and the guy behind the register says to me, okay, asita cheshbon. So I look at him like, why are you asking me? You're the one with the register. Why, why is he asking me if I made the calculation of how much everything is? Then it hit me, he was talking to me before Yom Kippur. Asita cheshbon. This is the time you have to make a cheshbon. This is the time you have to look inside and figure out where, where you stand with everything. So tshuva is return to yourself. Tefillah is to take a look at yourself. Tzedakah, we translate as charity. Charity, the original word, charity is Latin, caritas, which means to make good by somebody. That's not tzedakah. Tzedakah comes from tzedek, to do what's right by yourself. What's going to happen with the other person, that's up to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's up to Hashem. you got to do the right thing. You always have to think, is this right or is this not right? That's tzedakah, to make yourself right. So tshuva, tefillah, tzedakah is Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we turn to us. But anyways, above the words tshuva, tefillah, and tzedakah, it says in small letters, even in your mafzarim, it says karas satan. Rip up the satan. Rip it up. So I was thinking of this theme of ripping up the satan and Rosh Hashanah. We have it a little bit. There's a tradition, I assume, in your, I don't know if it's both nights or one night in your community, to have special simane halayla. Both nights or one night? How do you do it? You don't have to gain both nights. You have all the leftovers. No one can finish the the second night. But it's really... You, so you bring out the simane halayla and you have what's called the karat, which is the cabbage. And if you look at the prayer with the cabbage, it's that it should be yehiratzon, that you should kara, that you should rip up all the bad stuff. More ripping on Rosh Hashanah. More ripping. Then we say... 
then we say that we blow the shofar. Why? Tiku shofar You blow the shofar in the month where the moon is covered, the time where the moon is covered. That's Rosh Hashanah, right? The Vilna Gaon says, if you look at the beginning, if you take the first letters of each of those words and you take the letter next to it, it spells Gazar Kara Din. Rip up the Din decree. Rip up the judgment. So I'm looking around Rosh Hashanah and I see there's a lot of ripping and throwing Tashlich on Rosh Hashanah. Right? This is Tashlich. What's Tashlich? Tashlich bim tzulat yam. To throw away your sins. So if I could pick a word that keeps a verb that keeps coming up on Rosh Hashanah, it's ripping, it's throwing. We say, We pass in front of us like sheep. There's one interpretation that says, you push them through. So we're shoving, we're pushing, we're ripping. So what is that about? Why is this the theme of the sweet little holiday, Rosh Hashanah, where we're dipping apple in honey? Why is that the theme, all this ripping? Let's leave Rosh Hashanah for a moment. Then we look at Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur really is all about vidui. We're confessing. We're confessing over and over and over what we've done wrong, everything we've done. You know, by if you go to the Hasidic group, the Belzer Hasidim, when they do the vidui, they run through it quickly. They just speed. Why? They don't believe in kavana. No, they believe in kavana. But the reason is, is because they think, don't sit too long on your sins. Why? Because you're going to think about one of your sins. You'll think, Right? Oh, I, this guy, God forbid, ate pork. Oh, the pork. I remember what I had the other night. You, know, you start going through it. You re- don't sit on it too long. Run. Just get get through it quickly. Uh, go through your sins quickly. So, vidui, the words. The beginning of Yom Kippur, Ashkenaz and Svardim, is called Nidre. At night, everybody walks into shul. They're waiting for this holy prayer, and they hear about more about words and vows and things we said. Words. What are we doing most on Yom Kippur? The whole day, the whole night, praying. The whole day, the whole night, every the whole the whole Yom Kippur is about tefillah. There's no shaking of a lulav. There's no eating a matzah. It's prayer, prayer, prayer. More about the words. Yom Kippur does not. Yom Kippur is so powerful that it wipes away all your sins. But guess what? Everyone thinks it's just a magic marker. It does not wipe away the sins. Ben Adam lechavero between you and another person, unless you first do what you ask for. Mechila forgiveness. You have to use your mouth again. So if I could take a verb that expresses Rosh Hashanah, it's the rip and the throw. If I could take a verb that expresses Yom Kippur, it's the speak, it's the talk. Why? Sukkot. Let's go to Sukkot. On Sukkot, right, you're asked to make a special hut, a little building, a structure for those days of Sukkot. Okay, for those days. It's very specific how you build it, how you make it. Some of the best... Oh, I just I, I just had a flashback when I see you, Rabbi Fasi. I remember Mufasi was the Rav in Camp Moshava when I was there. And he gave one shear one summer on the subject of Mechitza Hanikeret. Because you were building the Eruv in the camp. You were building the Eruv for the camp. So the idea of Sukkah needs to be Mechitza Hanikeret. You have to have recognizable walls. What's Sukkot about? It's about personal space. It's about personal space. Um, your physical, where you are. You leave your house. Leave your permanent homes. Right? And go into your diratarai, into your private spaces. And this little box becomes where you are. It's supposed to remind us in the desert when God covered us with a cloud, and that was our space. So when I look at Sukkot, I think about the fact that very much it's about where is our space. Sukkot now has this element of seven days plus one more, Shmini Atzeret. It's not, Shmini Atzeret is a Chag Bifne Atzmo. It's its own day, because eight is above the natural world. Sukkot is natural, seven days. 
It's right there. It's one of the only mitzvot that's with your whole entire body. Mikvah is with your entire body. Going to Eretz Yisrael, entering into Israel is with your entire body. The sukkah is with your entire body. Sukkah is about personal space. Why? And the most confused of them all, in my opinion, is Simcha Torah, Shmini Atzeret, the whole end of the holiday. You know, you know in business what an elevator pitch is? In elevator pitches, if you could, how would you explain your business if you got into an elevator and you have only five floors before the elevator hits the ground? How would you explain your business? Someone says, no, what do you do? Right? So in LA, it's easy. Everyone just says convalescent homes. And it's, a, it's certainly a very easy answer. Two words and it's done. But what do you, how do you explain what you do? How do you explain what's your profession, what's your career? By the time it goes from here, five to one. What are you going to say? What's the elevator pitch for Simcha Torah and Shemini Atzer? Well, we finished, but it's not the same. It's different. We ended. We're going, ding, you're on the first floor. Okay, we try again. We're dancing with our laws. Dancing with your laws. What what culture takes their laws? You can't do this, you can't do that, and they dance with it. Something, you can't explain it. You take your four flights that you can't. There's such a confusion on Simcha Torah, on Shemini Atzer. Moreover, the rugged Shavar Gon points out the end of Sukkot is the only holiday that has no new mitzvah. None. There is no mitzvah on the end of Sukkot. What he means by that is there's no maisa mitzvah. There's nothing that you hold. Pesach, I hold a matzah. Sukkot, I hold a lulav. Every holiday has some action of a maisa mitzvah. Even Shavuot, where the later edition was Torah, still the study of Torah becomes our maisa mitzvah. At the end of Sukkot, there's no new maisa mitzvah at all. Zero. You're out of the Sukkot at that point. Everyone wants to know, what do I take? What do I hold? What do I do? Just sit. Nothing. What, what, what is this about? What's the identity of the end of Sukkot? So what I'd like to do now is explain. Again, Rosh Hashanah is about ripping and throwing. Yom Kippur is about words. Sukkot is about personal space. And the end of Sukkot is just confusion and chaos. I want to give you an approach, perhaps, a way to look at these four holidays and see within it a great, great wisdom as to why God stacked them all together, put them right next to each other. All of us make deals with ourselves. We all make deals. It's how we get through life. It's how we survive. We make deals with ourselves. Well, if I just do this, or if I think about this or think about that, I'll be okay. Let me give you an example. One of the deals we make with ourselves is we make assumptions. Assumptions. We believe the assumptions we make so much that we believe them to be true and we could swear to them. Someone came to me in the office about one of the teachers in the school. Um, it was parents that are not married and uh, the teacher called up the father specifically to tell them about this or that and the father was upset. He's like, you know, she came after me because the way, because this, that. And I could see that he was playing a whole story in his head. He had 47 assumptions that was assuming the teacher understood the difficulties of what divorce means. The teacher never thought of it. The teacher just wanted to call, to get the book, to get the thing, whatever it was. And he never could have imagined in a million years. But all of a sudden, this person had read so many stories and all their pain into it because we make tons of assumptions. We assume we know what others are thinking, what they're doing, and we take it personally, and then we blame them, and we react. And then we start even more. We gossip about our assumptions about what we think in a situation without even asking for a clarification. We see what we want to see. We hear what we want to hear. And we assume the other person is thinking and feeling the exact same way that we are. 
They must look at life the same way as I do. You know, I started today, I teach 7th and 8th grade hashkafa. So I started today with 7th grade hashkafa for the new year. I asked them, what does it mean to teach hashkafa? What does it mean? Several started taking guess, this, that. You know what hashkafa means? It comes from mishkafayim. What are mishkafayim? <coughs> glasses. It's the glasses, how you see the world. Imagine you walk into a flashlight store and you're looking on the shelf and you pick up the Picasso flashlight. You shine the Picasso flashlight in your hand and all of a sudden the fingers are upside down. The hand is backward. There's 40 different colors. It looks like a Picasso painting. You're scared. You put the flashlight back on the wall. You then take another flashlight that says the cell cellular biology. You take it off the shelf. You put it on your hand and you can see all your cells. You see beyond the tissue, everything. It's unbelievable. That's Hashkafa. Hashkafa is what flashlight do you use to see the world? How do you see the world? Someone who's had tremendous pain, who has suffered so much, often their hashkafa is seeing the world through the glasses of pain. That's their assumption. That's why victims often are the most dangerous people. Victims, people who have gone through some trauma, displacement, this and that, they're the most dangerous people in the world. Because they assume a way of looking at the world that often is distorted from everybody else. Why am I sharing this with you? I saw an interpretation of Rosh Hashanah and I'm like, that's what we're tearing. That's what we're ripping. There's a sefer called Ginzei Yosef, written about a hundred years ago. It says, how does Rosh Hashanah work? Al yedei sha'adam ma'avir al midosav bezeh ma'avir ma'alav sinat chinam u'memela yesh lo shalom al kol Yisrael. When a person removes and forgives and lets go, you let go. I, I'm not going to assume the worst in what you've done. <coughs> then guess what? God will turn and save you. Then I'm going to assume the best in you as well. I won't make assumptions about you. I will assume that day when you decided to stop walking into my prayer house for three weeks, you haven't come to the Beit Knesset. I will assume you were just going through a very hard time that time in your life. And you were just too confused. You don't make assumptions about others. You mavir al midotav. You overlook, you forget, you forgive, you let in, you give in. God says, I do the same with you. That's what you're tearing on Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, you're ripping up all these faulty assumptions you had about everybody else, about everything of what they think. Oh, look how they're looking at me. I remember once I was giving a shear. I was giving a shear and I, I, could, I could tell when my shear is, is, is terrible. I, you do it long enough. You can tell when you think it's going okay. Right? I better leave now. <laughs> you, you can tell. So I all of a sudden I'm giving a shear. And this was one of those, I knew it was good. I, I felt like it was good. I'm giving bad shear. This was a good one. And this guy's looking at me during the shear. So I decided, no, I'm going to pivot. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a shear pleaser. I'm going to try to, he came out, I'll try to please him. So I pivoted, I gave a little different interpretation. He's looking at me like this. Everything I did for five, six minutes, I tried, I tried, I gave up, I left the guy alone. I, after the shear is over, he comes over, he goes, that was a wonderful shear. <laughs> In my head, I assumed the whole time something that was absolutely not true. And that's mavirim, mavirin al midosav, to overlook, to overlook. It's a beautiful interpretation from the Chalban. Chalban is one of my favorite Mekubalim in the world. The Chalban says, you know, a person, it says that a person does not send sin. That a person does not sin unless a spirit of craziness enters into them. What does that mean? What is a strange thing? A, a moment of craziness. It's a funny phrase. 
Says the Chalban, you know what it means? It means literally a ruach of somebody else entered into you. This is not you right now. This is not you talking right now. There's somebody else inside of you that's clouding your whole image. You know, often when couples in a relationship go through a stressful period, they should know that what's happening right now is not you and it's not me. It's something else, another invader. It's called stress. And stress plays with your mind. And it gets you to look at each other in ways that you know are not true. And the other person has to be sympathetic and understand that's not them talking right now. It's the stress speaking. He says the Chalban. Ruach Shtus means literally something hijacked the way you look at the world. If you would calm down, if you would breathe, you would see the other person's a good person. They're a decent. So why are you looking at them like that? Nichnas bo ruach shtus. That's what you're ripping up on Rosh Hashanah. That's what you're tearing. Some assumptions we just need to crush on Rosh Hashanah. I saw another interpretation. The Talmud tells us in Rosh Hashanah that a Rosh Hashanah kol boy olam ovrim lefanav kivnei baram. That a Rosh Hashanah everyone passes before God like sheep. And the Gemara says, niskaren achat. And everyone is counted. How would you translate skira? What's a good translation for skira? How would you say skira? But what's a scanner? One scanner? What does the Talmud mean by it? One look. I'll give it one look, one scan. I don't know what word they would have used when translating the Gemara back then. But one swipe. Why one swipe? Says a Sefer Bilvavi Mishkan Evna. Who's the author? He hid his name for 10 years. Hope that nobody would find out. You can't publish 25 books and no one finds out who you are. So he found out who he is. His name is Ravita Mar Schwartz. Big Talmud Chacham. He said beautifully, you know why Skira Achat? God wants us to understand you're all in the same boat. Stop judging each other for what you have, what you don't have. You, you understand? When you get mad at somebody else for this they did, understand you only get mad about it because you know that you have that too. Or else you wouldn't recognize it. When you say that other person is out to get people, you see how he cheats people. How do you know what a cheater is? Says the Bilbavi Mishkan Evna, you know what a cheater is because you do it yourself. Otherwise, you would never you would never notice it. You only notice it because there's something in you that thinks that way, that does that way. That's a little bit, not the same level, but a little bit. Beskira achat. You're all in one. You're all in one swipe. And that's what I did. It's a beautiful idea um, that he wants to share, the Bilbavi Mishkan Evna. Let's continue along. So we had this idea of what's, what's this idea of ripping and tearing on Rosh Hashanah. I believe the tearing and ripping on Rosh Hashanah is getting rid of your, as they say in English, your narratives, your way of looking at the world always, your way of looking at other people. Just stop, slow down, take it apart and know that other people out there, they're not thinking what you think they're thinking. You know, there's a story told by Rav Yitzchak Izbi. Rav Yitzchak Izbi was the rabbi of the Aguda Synagogue in Flatbush, Avenue L in Flatbush. And he told the following story. Passed away in 1997, very young age. It was a big tragedy. And he told the story of a couple that was having a problem having children. They had a problem having children. And they came to the, they were told, they're not Hasidic, but they were told, go to the Nadvorna Rebbe. Go to the Nadvorna Rebbe. Rav Izbi sent them to the Nadvorna Rebbe, and the father went to the Rebbe for a blessing to be able to have children. He went to the Rebbe, the Rebbe said, were you praying for Rosh Hashanah? He said, that, well, usually I stay home, whatever. He says, come to me, Rosh Hashanah, come to Bnei Brak. He lived in Tavaria. He said, come to me in Bnei Brak. It's a big skula. I'll give you the kavod for maftir. And it's a big skula, chana that we read about, and to be able to have children. He goes, fine, he's going to pick up. He's never been to Bnei Brak for Rosh Hashanah. It's an inconvenience, but anything to be able to have an opportunity to have a child. 
he comes and he moves and he schleps everyone out and he's there and all of a sudden he comes to synagogue. He doesn't even know if the Navarro Rebbe remembers who he is. He's walking in there, sticks out like a sore thumb. There's thousands of people. All of a sudden he notices that morning next to him in synagogue, there's someone else who looks like he sticks out like a sore thumb. He goes over and says, hello, what's your name? Hi. He goes, what are you doing here? He goes, what do you want? The other guy says, you know, I'm here. The Navarro Rebbe told me he's going to give me the, the kibbut, the kavod for the maftir, so that we can have children. This guy's like, he says, you know what? Forget it. I'm out of here. He walked out of the synagogue. He let the other guy take the kibbutz. He let the other guy take kibbutz. That year, Rav Izbi said, this congregant of mine, had they had their first child after 15 years of trying. <clears throat> and the Navorna Rebbe called him after Yantif, Rav Izbi, and says, what's the number of the fellow? So the Navorna Rebbe said, I knew if I'd invite him, he would do great things that Rosh Hashanah. And what was the great thing he did? He didn't make a fight in the synagogue. He didn't make a fight by the Rebbe and said, you gave it to me, not this guy. He said, it's all yours. It's all yours. And he walked out. Imagine if everybody thought like that in synagogue and Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. My seat, my kavod, my this, my that, my parking spot. This is mine. Mavir amidotav. To rip it up and stop. Erase it. They're not out to get you. No one's out to get you. They're worried about whatever else is going on in their lives. Everyone's got something else going on. That's what's on their mind at the time. It's not about you. It's not about trying to hurt you, trying to take something from you. Let's move now to Yom Kippur. Let's move now to Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, we said, is all about these words. So that fits perfectly. Because after Rosh Hashanah, you've wiped the slate clean. You've ripped up all these negative ways. You look at other people and you look at the world. Zero assumptions. Now what you have to learn when you're starting, now it's time to be incredible with your word. Now it's time. You're going to start fresh. Now mean what you say and say what you mean. You know, one of the al that we do when we hit ourselves, we say, Al-Chayt Shechatanu Bevidoi Peh. On the sins that we did with confession of the mouth. Why is that a sin? You're supposed to confess with the mouth. The answer is, it was lip service. You were fake. You stood there. You saw in synagogue. Everyone wants to see how you pray. So you did this. You want to show your kids you know how to pray. It wasn't real. It wasn't authentic. You didn't feel it. That's Bevidoi Peh. It wasn't real. Yom Kippur is about learning how to be authentic with our words. You know, Lahavdil, one man in Germany, just by using his words, manipulated an entire country, the most intelligent people in the world at the time. He manipulated them to, to, to commit the worst atrocities that humanity has ever seen. And he did it all with his mouth. Every human being is literally a magician. You can work wonders with your mouth. You can take someone and destroy them, or you can give them life. You know when we blow the shofar, by the way, Rosh Hashanah? All the famous reasons, right? We're making God the king. We're waking us up from the sleep. Rav Sajagon has ten reasons. I saw the reason of the Arizal. You just need this and you can go home after Rosh Hashanah. The Arizal says, God says, remember when I blew? The last time in history that you remember that I blew is when I breathed the soul into you and gave you life. Now it's your turn to give people life. Now it's your turn to make people feel alive. And that's what you're doing with the shofar. You're imagining, like HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you're breathing life into people again. You're taking someone who's been down, who's in pain, who's had a tough time, and you call them up, and you visit them on Yom Kippur, and you visit them, or you offer to help them with a loan, or whatever it is, and you breathe life into them. That's what it means this time. Every human is a magician. What you can do with your words, you can put a spell on someone with your words, 
or you could release them from it. And we do it all the time. How many times we do this with our own children? We give them opinions and our kids sit with this for years. They carry that with them. It's this time to be careful with what we do with our words, how we choose to speak, what we're going to choose to say during this time. We think about Kol Nidre on Yom Kippur night. You know, it's anticlimactic. You bring people who haven't been in synagogue in years. You tell them, come. Come to services, Yom Kippur night. They're waiting to get here. They're expecting. They're hoping there's going to be a big band here. There's nothing. There's no band. Right? They're coming. Okay, fine. It's very, it's old school. I like old school. They come. They're hoping they're going to see, right, everything. Beautiful prayers about angels flying and coming and going. They get there and they hear the first prayer. It's like a Jewish legal document. For the swears that I didn't swear, what I did promise, what I didn't promise... What are we doing? That's how you start the tefillot on Yom Kippur? The answer is, yes it is. Because the first message a Jew says on Yom Kippur is be impeccable with your word. Use your words for gold. Use your words and use them wisely. What are you going to do with them? What are you going to do with the things you said you're going to do? The commitments you said you were going to commit to? Own up to what you say what you're going to do. The power of your words and what they're capable of doing. I want to move next. You know, by the way, I, I, I read a story, a great story. Uh, Omniture. Omniture was the defunct um, breakaway from Adobe. Right? You know, Adobe, uh, you have Adobe uh, PDF, Adobe Acrobat, major company. And Omniture was a breakaway from Adobe. I think it's since collapsed. And when the company was going bankrupt, the owner, the CEO, had to let go of 40 employees. He had to let go of 40 employees. But the CEO, Josh James, took six years of working different hustles, different businesses to make money. Why? To pay all the winter bonuses to everyone who got fired that year. And he said, I told them that year, big bonuses are up ahead. I didn't know the, the floor would fall out from under my business, but so what? I gave them my word. I told them. So he spent the next five, six years of his life to make enough money to be able to pay them back and move on with his life. That's to be impeccable with your word, to say you're going to do something. I read an article about Durham, North Carolina. I saw a picture of a bunch of Jews standing with boxes. What was it? It was the ashes from the crematoriums, the ashes from, um, from Dachau in the Nazi concentration camps. They were burying them in North Carolina. Why? Because one guy there, really a guy who barely even knew he was Jewish, ponytail, long white beard, older fellow in a wheelchair, found a letter from his grandfather and said, things are turning for the worse here. Please make sure they remember us. So this guy out there in North Carolina said, that was my father's words, my grandfather's words. I'm going to honor his words. He took a plane, a few guys went, they took some of the ashes from over there in Dachau and they brought it to Barry so the people in North Carolina with family members and grandchildren would remember our words, impeccable with our words. So Rosh Hashanah is about ripping up the old storyline. The things we think about ourselves, the things we think about other people, how we judge other people, how we look at them, how we tell them what they need to think, what they need to say, and how we get angry with them. And then Yom Kippur, we start fresh, we write a new story. And Yom Kippur, you make sure that your words are the right words. You make sure they're good words. You make sure they're healing words that bring life to people, that bring success to people, that bring bracha to people. Then comes Sukkot. Why is Sukkot about being in a sukkah, in this space? I think it's the third message. So much of our pain, so much of why we inflict on others and so much we go through is we take things personally. Take things personally. Jealousy is about that too. You know, it's a great line in Pirkei Avot. 
right? The line in Pirkei Avot says, and I thought about it in a different way, I'll share it with you. The line in Pirkei Avot says, right? Ezehu Ashir, who is wealthy? Hasomech Bechelko. Be happy with what you have. Thank you. How does that help me? This guy's driving around, he's got the new Tesla, he's got everything. I'm sitting there, I can barely get the thing to start. But I'm happy, I can't go anywhere with my car, but I'm happy. What does it mean? So listen to this insight from the Ger Rebbe, the Sfat Emet. It says, Chelko means your chelek. Imagine that all of that doesn't even exist. It doesn't exist. Your chelek is where you exist. Your space is where you exist. Beyond that space, it's not for you to worry about. It's not for you to beat yourself up. Meaning, imagine if you found out there was a piece of gold on Neptune. You wouldn't, even, you wouldn't lose a minute of sleep on it because it's crazy. It's out there in Neptune. What has it got to do with me? The same thing with your neighbor. The same thing with the person next to you. It's not my space. This is the space that God has carved for me in this world. The moment I accept that this is my space, I'm liberated. I'm free. I'm not trapped by it anymore. It doesn't exist. It's gray beyond there. You know there's a rule of Ari Miklat, someone who runs to a city of refuge. Shamtehe dirato, shamtehe gurato. That's where he lives, that's where he's going to end his life. There's a law that you're supposed to do anything to save another person's life. Anything. But for some reason, the man in the Ari Miklat doesn't leave even to save a life. Why not? So I saw from Rav Shaul Yisraeli, he said because Ari Miklat is the only thing, it's like its own universe. There's nothing else outside of it. The rest of the world doesn't exist at that time. I think in the same way, in a positive way on Sukkot, you're in your Sukkot to say, this is mine. I don't have to worry whether I'm going to have the house is going to be there, the lease, the mortgage, all of this. God says, you have your house. You have your life. You're with your family. You're with your table. Rosho, Ruba, Veshulchano is all you need on Sukkot. You need the majority of your body, the table, Rosho, Ruba, Veshulchano. That's all you need. The rest is beyond your reach. Leave it alone right now. Don't make yourself crazy over it. What I have, what I don't have. That's the idea of the walls of Sukkot. To recognize that you're sitting under the schach, God's protection. God has everything for me that I'm supposed to have. How could I worry about what you have and what you have? God has given me everything in the world that I'm supposed to have. What am I worried about what you have? doesn't even make sense. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, this is what you need right now for the next stage of your life. We come to a close. And we come now to Simchat Torah, Shmini Atzeret, the very end of the holiday. And we ask ourselves, what is that about? What are we supposed to learn from this, uh, from this very end of the holiday? To review, Rosh Hashanah, we taught ourselves about removing, ripping the evil decree. It stopped with our, our assumptions about everything. We're making so many assumptions. The second idea, Yom Kippur, is about being perfect with your word, being impeccable with your word. When you say something, you mean it. You mean what you say. You come clean with what you say. You start with honesty. Number three, Sukkot, is about not to take everything personally. This is your space. This is what God has given you. Be appreciative. Have gratitude for what you have right here in your life. And then you come to Shemini Atzeret and Simchat Torah. And what is that about? You know what Simchat Torah is about? Simchat Torah says, I take the whole Torah and I'm dancing with it. And someone asked me in synagogue when I was a rabbi in New York. I brought a, a philosopher with me. And he said to me, what are you guys doing exactly? He said, we're dancing with the Torah. He goes, what does it mean you're dancing with your law? Why? What is, makes you so happy about dancing with your law? So I saw an answer from a Levi Yitzchak Berditcher that's just beautiful. 
You know why we're so happy with our Torah? We may not keep all of it. We may have a tough time doing even most of it, or even some of it. Some of us barely get around to even one part of it. But God says, I trust that you can do this. And there's no greater blessing when we have a book that's filled with all of this, and a God who says, I give this to you because I know you can. And that takes us to Simcha Torah and Shemini Atzeret, which is always do your best. That's all God wants. Just show up and do your best. I want to close with a story. It's, it's one of my favorites. the top four favorite Hasidic stories of mine. And it's about just showing up. Just getting here. Just get to synagogue. Uh, I don't know what the prayers are going to be. I'm going to make a fool of myself. My talit got locked in the trunk of the car. I don't, just come. Just show up. Just be here around this chevra. Show up more than once a year. Come out. There used to be a great Hasidic master 300 years ago. And when the people were going through a tough time, he had a candle, he had a special tefillah, and he had a special place where he would go in the forest, and it would make everything good. And they were going through a tough time, the Rebbe said, no problem, I have the candle, I know the spot, I know the tefillah. Done. A hundred years later, those Hasidim were long gone, the Rebbe was long gone, his great-grandson was the Rebbe, and he said, I don't have the candle anymore but I still have the coordinates of the place and I still have the tefillah. And they went through trouble. He said, come with me. We're going to go to the spot and we're going to say the prayer. And that was good enough. A hundred years later, Hasidim are all gone. The Rebbe is no longer here. But there was a Rebbe who didn't have the candle. He lost the coordinates on the map, but he still knew the tefillah. And when the people went through a tough time, he said to them, I don't have the candle, I don't have the makum, but I have the tefillah, and that's got to be enough. 2018, we come here today in the house that Rav Miller built. We come here today, you don't have the candle anymore. We don't know where that place was in the forest. Many of us don't even know the words of the right tefillah and what we're supposed to say. But the Rebbe tells us, guess what? show up. And that already has to be enough. That's Simcha Torah Shemini Atzeret. You're leaving Rosh Hashanah, leaving Yom Kippur, you're leaving Sukkot, and God says, just come, just be there. Be around me. Be around my holy things. Do a little mitzvah. Do something. Put on tefillin. Be committed. Try your best. And that has to be enough. Yeshukoach to everyone here. Thank you so much for showing up.